and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Trey Dedman, and I'm here as always with Shane Reeves. Live again from Crown Cigars and Ales. This is becoming one of my favorite places to record the show. I really enjoy it because everybody here kind of knows me, and as they come in, they all see the microphone and... They, they either get real quiet or they turn around and run out the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing that's so great about it is that it's a, a very easy place to run into one of our favorite guests and honestly almost a third host at this point, Mr. Bo Ladner. Well, it's funny. You were Esquire. Talk- <laughs> Esquire. Dr. Ladner, thank you. That's funny. You're talking about people coming in, seeing you, and either coming up to say hi or turning around and running away. I, I have the exact same effect on a lot of people without the microphone, so I totally understand <laughs> The microphone makes you less approachable for some reason. And I, I guess I it's just, just walk a, around with. I was one just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need one at my desk at work so people don't bother me. Hold on, like a crucifix every time you run into an X. <laughs> <laughs> not all of us have those issues. <laughs> not not people sitting outside our house at night smoking cigarettes, looking in the window. <laughs> I swear, man, I'm like two chapters away from living in a Stephen King novel. Swiping Trey's dog, holding him for <laughs> ransom. Luckily, he's too big to fit in the oven or the pressure cooker or whatever it was. <laughs> I don't want to have to go Liam Neeson taken to get Oscar back. Actually, that's a lie. I totally yeah, want to totally. go Liam Neeson taken to get Oscar back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah how, how much better would that taken speech been if he had done it in his Hannibal King character from the A-Team movie? <laughs> had a cigar in his mouth. But speaking about the cigars, let's talk about what we're going to smoke this week. This week... I got the Don Pepin Garcia Cuban Classic, also the Don Pepin Black. A cigar Trey turned me on to that I've really just taken a shine to. I really like this cigar. It and the blue both have kind of come to me. They're out of the fact the Don Pepin factory. Mm-hmm. Um, just absolutely wonderful cigar, about a 5 by 50 Interesting thing about those, I remember years ago when I was in college and I was getting into cigar smoking, the shop in town, he had quite a few of them, and it was an older stock, too. And I remember used to pick those things up for a song, and they were really good. It was kind of before my father really took off. So it's, it's kind of nice seeing it just getting famous now and everybody wanting them and price going up. It's always cute to see that. And it was one of those, you know, when I first got into my father's cigars, it was just the blue and the black label, right. and which is why you could call it. I think they had the white label at that point, too, which they don't make anymore. Um, but it was a much smaller line now, you know, because of, frankly, Don Pepin's genius. Uh, they're blending for other people, and their line has expanded to include, you know, the Jaime Garcia, which I smoked a few weeks ago. And they are really taking off. But it's really hard to beat the the Cuban classic there, which um, I hadn't had in years until Austin brought him in here to Crown uh, a few weeks ago. Now, what are you smoking today? Today, I am smoking a San Cristobal Classico Robusto. This is a cigar that's actually made, its parent company is Ashton. And it, I used to, I, this used to be that cigar that I walked into a, cigar shop in a humidor and if they had this cigar I knew I was in a quality place Um, but they're popping up more and more so you can find them pretty much everywhere which is great because it's a fantastic medium full-bodied cigar Uh, and you know despite the fact being distributed and and, you know uh, owned by Ashton 
it's actually really affordable. It's right around the eight to ten dollar range, depending on the size. It's got a nice little peppery flavor to it. Um, this particular one, like I said, is the robusto, so it's about a, a fifty-two by uh, five. Um, but it's excellent smoke, though. Now, San Cristobal, wasn't that originally a Cuban brand? Isn't there a Cuban San Cristobal brand? And they're actually still operating. This is one of those perfect examples of why I'm not a huge fan of Cuban cigars. Because what happened was, being the largest consumer of cigars in the world, when the U.S. passed the embargo, rather than killing the industry, the industry just moved. And this is a perfect example of that company moving out, uh, I believe, Dominican and flourishing with the talent that, that came from Cuba. And I want to come back to that a little later in the show, and I really want to talk about what are some Cuban brands that have been brought to America. You can still, you know, you can get Cohiba America, you can get Cohiba Cuba. And I want to talk about that a little later on the show, but right now I want to see Bo get lit up. <laughs> yeah, actually, this is one that I've been smoking um, because I came in smoking this one specifically because we were going to talk about today about the relighting techniques. Because um, I smoke a lot of Maduros, I smoke a lot of dark ones, um, and this one in particular, it's a Fuente Maduro. That um, they a lot of a lot of people say you're not supposed to relight them. A lot of people, if a cigar goes out, won't relight it, and they feel like it ruins the flavor. They feel like it's just dead. I call those people rich. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, Shane, I believe you wanted to talk about relighting techniques. Well, first I want to talk about the the quest since the dawn of time, the quest for the perfect light. Right. What does the perfect light on your cigar look like? Well, everybody's got a different preference. Uh, I've seen a lot of, back to those people that won't relight it, those type of people, we know who they are, that uh, say you can't light it with anything but cedar spills. But uh, personally, I like the way the cedar spills smell. Nice smoke ring, Shane. Thank you. Uh, I like the way that the cedar spills smell, but... I have a heck of a time trying to get a cigar lit and lit well with it. And you guys might run into the same problem. It's hard to get a nice, even one. Well, that's part of the reason that I like the soft flame lighter so much is because I feel like I get really even coverage on the foot of the cigar in such a way that I get a, an even light more frequently than using a big old torch, which is going to overlight one part and underlight the other. And I will say... Speaking of cedar spills, one night in this very shop at 11 o'clock, Bo was working, and someone set the ashtray on fire, and I seen him put it out with a combination of quick thinking and profanity. <laughs> I didn't know you could cuss a fire to death, but you got you, something about the oxygen. It well, all was, went out. And there was that one time, too, that I think you guys were here for that, when somebody had a cedar spill, and that's the other problem with them. I mean, when you, when you use a cedar spill, you've got, you, you basically got to be outside with zero wind to use it, because ashes just go everywhere. And they never go out. Like, you think the cedar spills out, and then it just flares back up spontaneously. Well, somebody lit a cigar with one and then just dropped them in the ashtray that was full of receipts and cellophane and paper and other cigars. And the entire ashtray just went up in flames. And I remember having to hold it over my head to keep the smoke and fire out of my, ha- out of my face as I ran outside to dump it out. It was like, I swear I heard chariots of fire playing in my head. I wish I could have got the, the was, whole group it, singing that for you. <laughs> you were running. cigar equivalent of uh, the Olympic torch being carried out. Yeah. <laughs> but coming back to the quest for the perfect light. Well, so does it start with the cigar or with the cut? Is it the chicken or the egg? It's a cigar. I think, uh, especially on on our one of our previous episodes, we talked about travel humidors, and and we've talked about that at length actually. And 
I think if it's a cigar that comes out of your travel humidor that's been banged around a little bit and the foot's a little destroyed or has a couple of cracks and things like that, first of all, that doesn't bother me because that's the part that's getting lit. But when you've got those fissures in the wrapper and you've got a little bit of damage to the foot of the cigar, it's going to be harder to get that consistent light because more more air is going to get through and it's going to create an avenue for the flame to kind of deviate. Right, and you've seen it before where you get like a slight crack in it and you try to light the thing, it ends up basically tunneling itself. Mm-hmm. Well, I see more bad lights due to the cut than the actual cigar, though. If you take the best, most pristine cigar in the world and you cut it improperly, you're not going to get a good light. Well, it's all about airflow. I mean, it's just like anybody who's been through the Boy Scouts or any type of summer camp or whatever it is, you know, there's a there's a certain methodology to building a, a proper campfire. And the cigar is kind of the same way. that It starts at the factory with the way it's rolled, but at the same time, if you cut it in such a way that you don't get enough airflow through it, you know, fire needs three things, uh, oxygen, uh, fuel source, and ignition. A, and it, yeah, sure. Right, there's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the marriage ba- merit badge back. <laughs> so, so fire needs fire. Is that what we're getting at? Although I got to, since you're talking about the, the, the cut of it and the cigar, I, I got to tell this story real quick. I'm not going to mention the cigar shop. I'm not going to mention the rep. But there was a rep that was hired a number of years ago, and uh, they asked the manager of the cigar shop if, if he could work there a couple of weeks because he really didn't know a whole lot about cigars, and they wanted to kind of train him real quick, give him a crash course. And so um, he grabbed a cigar out of the humidor, and about 45 minutes later, he came up <clears throat> to the manager of the shop, and he said that he just couldn't get the thing lit. He wanted to know what the problem was because he'd been just torching the heck out of it for 40 minutes now. So the manager grabbed the cigar, and he looked at it, and he said, well, it sure does help if you cut it first. <laughs> I was on the beach in um, or it was Freeport. I was on the beach, and there was a guy there selling cigars. And I said, "Man, he's selling cigars right here, fresh on the beach." I didn't bring my cutter. I said, "But surely he's got a way to cut it." And I walked up and asked him. I said, I, "I'd like to buy one, but I need it cut." Don't worry, don't worry. And he pulled out a dog's tooth. And used it to punch the cigar for me. Oh, my God. And it was wonderful. I mean, I smoked oh, it all the way that, down. I've done that before with a coon pecker. I mean, you never seen that that trick? No. Not a literal coon pecker um, on a Swiss Army knife. You know, the little... Uh, Leather punch? No, it's, it's, it's like a little... It's almost like a... Hillbillies used to use a literal coon pecker because it's an actual bone. It's not a muscle like, like most other mammals. So if you've ever seen like one of those <clears throat> old caricatures... I could rabbit hole on the science of that. Remind me to tell you after we <laughs> okay. get off the air. It's called a bocula. Hey, hey I'm, star- I'm starting a new market of punches called coon peckers. <laughs> I'm going the other way. Well, they're, they're, Copyright they're, Shane Reeves. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. They are extremely hard. So you could use it for a toothpick. You could use it to punch a cigar. On the Swiss Army knives, they usually have... It's an artificial coon pecker, obviously. But uh, it's a composite, and you can actually take that off the Swiss Army knife and use it to cut it. You can also use the knife itself if you're masterful enough. I've seen, uh, I've seen old guys that were used to using their thumbnail use it in a masterful way to cut it. If, if, if you're John Wayne enough, you can bite it just right. But you got to be real careful. The, the first cigar I gave my brother when he turned 18 was a Cuban Romeo and Julieta. And uh, I said, oh, hang on, let me go get my cutter. And he goes, wait, uh, wait, I've seen you do this. I know how to do it. Chomp. Just started chomping on it. it probably just ruined the, the, about a half the cigar just trying to chomp on the thing like, like, he was, like he was a rookie fisherman on Deadliest Catch that had to bite the head off a trout or something. 
Well, yeah, that will definitely affect the light. <laughs> yeah, that'll definitely affect your ability to light the cigar. Now, I want to get to relighting, but let's get let's get through the initial lighting. The initial lighting of the cigar. I choose my cut and my light both based on the shape and the style of cigar. And that's all going to come from trial and error and personal preference. Like it's going to take you a while of smoking to kind of figure out what your what your wheelhouse is and how to determine um, what's best because different shapes you don't know until you try it. I really like, for example, the the LFD chisel. Uh, which they do a, a couple of different versions, but basically anything with the chisel shape. I really, I originally got turned on to the uh, punching the top and the bottom, and then I really liked that. But I eventually, you know, as we've d- discussed before, the the V cut along the long way. You know, it's just it's a matter of experimentation. Well, and here's the way I look at it: the punch is the least. The V-cut is next up, and the straight cut is the nuclear option. <laughs> if you punch it and it ain't drawing right, you can V-cut it. And if you V-cut it and it ain't drawing right, you can straight cut it. But once you straight cut it, it's straight cut for life. I like how you use the term nuclear option because in true bow fashion, I never punch or V-cut. I pretty much always either bite it off or use my knife, or if there happens to be one available, use a straight cut. But you're talking about trying to achieve the perfect light. And one of the things I would like to point out, too, one of the biggest mistakes I've seen people do is they try to use a torch lighter. And a lot of people don't understand torch lighter etiquette. Um, they basically use the torch as though they were using a Bic to light a cigarette. They put it right up in it. I mean, they get right on the bottom. Not only does ash drop into the lighter and ruin the lighter, but it also just completely overcharge everything on the outside. You've got to be real careful because you've got to hold the flame about an inch or two away from the cigar to toast it so that you can get a decent draw out of it. You don't want to just char it. In a perfect world, you warm the foot of the cigar up, and then as you light it, you're sucking the flame into the cigar. Well, and uh, one of the things, that's one of the reasons why I, you've seen me, I almost always use cedar matches. You strike the match, let the sulfur burn off for a couple of seconds, and then hold the match underneath the cigar and let it kind of evenly toast it for a second, and then you take three or four good puffs, and once you get it down, you can light it with one match pretty consistently. That's, I mean, and that kind of goes to the same reason that I like the soft flame because the, it's all about coverage and evenness and uniformity. And, and when, you're, when you're lighting the cigar, some people say, you know, you puff on it kind of slowly and roll it between your fingers to get nice, even coverage. I find that if you've got a big enough flame, either through cedar matches or a soft flame lighter, you don't really necessarily need to do that. I find that the need to, to rotate the cigar as I'm lighting it comes more from using a torch. Now, shapes of cigar determine my cut as well as my style of light. If I smoke a box press, I'm going to punch it and I'm going to use a very soft flame because to me, a box press is a lot looser packed than a traditional roll cigar. See, it's funny. I actually tend to V-cut my box presses. I straight cut them with my fingernails. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But for me, it's just because I really like... Because with a with a box press, I'm not going to be able to rotate it as I smoke it anyway, right? So I like that linear ability to just kind of have an up and a down and a left and a right and just be able to to, to make my way through the cigar uh, that way. Now, with, uh, with both the light and the cut, either of you guys notice a difference in flavor? Because one of the reasons why I like to use matches, I, I mean good wood matches, is because... 
I know it's it's like 99.99% odorless, but I feel like whenever I use a flame, a soft flame or a torch lighter, I still taste just a tiny bit of it. It may not be for long, but I feel like it's still there. I think it's the opposite. I don't think I taste any flavor with a, a, a good butane lighter, but I think what you're getting you is the match. I think yeah. you get, but it's a good flavor add. Right. Uh, so you're so with cedar and, w- and with a good wood match, right. you get the same thing where you're adding that kind of wood flavor, like a good barbecue kind of thing. Well, I feel like regardless of how you light it, you know, back to your seven elements of a fire or whatever, <laughs> one of those elements. Seven has, habits of highly effective lighters. <laughs> one of those elements is a slight odor. Re- regardless of how you got the fire, there's going to be some kind of taste imparted onto the cigar. Right. So I, I think you're right. You get to choose which one you like. If you can't really hardly taste anything with the butane, that's great. I, I feel like I can, which is why I prefer the match. Mm-hmm. And then the, you got the cut, too. Do you feel like there's a taste difference between the punch and the V-cut and the straight cut? I do, because to me, when I do a punch, I get a concentrated flavor. Because obviously you have a much smaller surface area, and the punch only works on a cigar of an outstanding draw. Right. A right. tight it's draw. At all, you're... Yeah, I can't. Anything Cuban, I can't punch. To me, the Cuban style of rolling is just a little tighter than the Nicaraguan or even the Dominican style of rolling. I can't punch a Cuban and smoke it. You know, what's funny is I can't tell you. Uh, the Monte Cristo number two is the, the pyramids. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to uh, I used to know a guy, it wasn't me, that, uh, that sold them before the embargo was lifted. And I can't tell you how many tourists would come in and try to punch the torpedo. Uh, that's just one of my biggest pet peeves ever. I don't know if you've ever tried it or ever seen it. Have either of you guys ever done the trick where you... Um, where you straight cut a torpedo, but on a on the bias, like you're slicing carrots. Um, Don Gonzalez, Pedro, he always told me on the torpedoes to cut them on a 45 degree angle. It's a straight cut, but it's on a 45 degree angle to increase the surface area of the draw and enhance that cigar. Well, and you know that's also based on uh, the way you smoke. I mean, like. You know, you can tell by looking at the two of you, you guys are puffing on them, and, but the cigars are still fairly clean uh, at the draw point. Mine looks like yeah, Oscar's been chomping on it. <laughs> looks like uh, looks like a St. Bernard has been chewing on the thing for the last 30 minutes. I, I tend to chew on them a lot, and they get a lot more slobber on them. So I really have a difficult time smoking out of a punch because it doesn't take long before I just can't get a draw at all because of that. Well, I think that also has to do with the fact that you smoke a cigar all day. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, whereas, whereas Shane and I will enjoy a cigar in one sitting, not to say that you don't do that, but right, you're right. more likely to, to take four hours with a cigar, whereas we're going to take one. And I, th- I think that contributes to it as well. Well, and some people like to sit and basically hold the cigar away and then puff on it occasionally and then go back to holding it away. I, I, I tend to basically keep it in between my teeth whenever yeah. so that's one of the other things you have to consider when deciding what kind of cut you're going to do if you're the kind of person that's going to chew on it a lot or slobber on it a lot you, can, you really can't even get away with the v-cut sometimes you have to just straight cut that's why i always have to go with the nuclear option as you call it well it's true too because like last night was a perfect example of we were out shooting pool and i hold the cigar in my mouth when i'm when i'm shooting pool and there have been many occasions where the straight cut is the only option for that, just because the more saliva you add to the picture, the more that is going to get, uh, the, the, the more the draw is going to get constrained. It's going to affect it, and I keep a, a um, poker with me, a draw poker with me at all times, 
because occasionally when it gets hot, especially if I'm smoking a really dark cigar, it'll clog up on me and I'll stop and punch it a couple of times just to be sure that it stays that rich, smooth. Because now this is something else to talk about. I want my draw to be like I'm sucking through a straw. (laughs) I want it that smooth. Right. I know guys that prefer a little stiffer draw. What's y'all's opinion? I, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. That's one of the reasons why I like a good box press is because I feel like I can get a much better draw out of it, especially after chomping on it for an hour and a half. I still feel like it's pretty smooth. Um, the only thing issue that you run into is that you got to be careful not to get one that's too loose because I feel like if it's too loose, it's just you're not really getting a whole lot of flavor out of it. I, I find the same thing, and and you know I think the the draw affects the flavor of the cigar and the, the the way you're able to keep it lit as well just the same way that wine glasses the different shapes put the flavor on different parts of your tongue i think we've talked about this before um but the uh the uh the type of cut that you put on the cigar is going to change where on your tongue that the smoke hits and i think that's going to affect the flavor as well well, and let's, we're going to stop for a break here. Let's take a few minutes and enjoy our cigar. When we come back, I want to talk about relighting a cigar. I really want to get into that. We also have our cigar under $8 this week yet to come. But let's step away from a minute and just enjoy the cigar. All right, we'll be right back after this. Beth with Crown Cigars for your cigar etiquette tip of the week. If you come into a shop with disposable coffee cups or newspapers and other such garbage, please do not leave it laying around the tables. Throw it in a garbage can. If you cannot find one, ask an employee and let them take care of it. And welcome back to the Cigar Cast. I'm one of your hosts, Shane Reeves. I'm sitting here with Trey Dedman. Welcome back, everybody. And Beauregard. Whatever it was, I didn't do it. And we're talking about the quest for the perfect light. Now, we've covered in the first half of the show everything about how to choose your light according to the shape of the cigar and the style of cigar. I would love to get some feedback from our listeners about that. You can always reach us at thecigarcast.com. You email us at info at thecigarcast.com. You can also go on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook at The Cigarcast. We're pretty easy to find in that regard. Yeah, we're, we're well-branded. <laughs> I will say that for us. If, if nothing else, we're well-branded. So, uh, and we kind of teased it a couple of times, but Bo, I noticed over the break that you let your cigar go out, which you are wont to do. What is the key to making... Uh, the best opportunity for a relight to not affect the flavor of the cigar? Well, you've got a couple of options. If you don't let it completely go out, if it's still kind of smoldering a little, if you're very, very delicate about it, you can actually like puff out a couple of times and then puff in once, like puff out three, four times and, and then draw in. You do that enough, eventually the, uh, the cigar will actually almost re- basically relight itself. When yeah. you do that, do you do like me and have the, the urge to scream, don't give up on me. I won't give up on you. <laughs> I will, I will reach, Live, damn it. Ah. <laughs> I will reach into whichever abyss you went into and pull you back kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah, that's one option. The other one is if the cigar is completely out, um, 
one of the things you got to remember to do, which a lot of people forget, is you do have to take the ash off first. You got to make sure and get all the ashes off because you can't light the, the tobacco through the ash. That is a great tip. Yeah, once you get that done, um, use your light of choice. I, I feel personally like if I have to relight a cigar and I use a torch or a soft flame lighter, I feel like the flavor is just about ruined. And that's just me personally. So I almost always relight with a match because I feel like it preserves the flavor personally. Now, after you relight it, you have to remember, too, before you start enjoying it again, you've got to puff out through it uh, to basically clear the carpet out. So you don't puff in. You just grab the cigar and you just puff out for three or four seconds to make sure you get all that flavor out before you start smoking it again. And I'm actually really glad that you mentioned that because I think, I think it was Cigar Aficionado about eight years ago ran an article about relighting cigars because that's, there's always been a delineation in the industry about whether to, to relight or not to relight. And they had some really great advice and it was exactly what you just said. It was knock all the ash off. Uh, every little bit of ash that you can get off, get it off and then blow through it a few times just to further that enterprise and it gives you a much cleaner relight because you're not drawing dead ash through the the flavor of the cigar nearly as much. Right. And once you relight the cigar, do y'all notice a change in flavor? I I can count the number of cigars I've relit in my life on one hand. Because for me, a cigar is destination smoking. I'm going to have the time to enjoy it all the way to the end. See, I used to be in that camp. I, I But working in a cigar shop at the very least, one that allows you to smoke while you're working. Uh, you you run into a lot of occasions where you have to set it down, help a customer, pour a beer, do whatever it is, and it's going to go out. That's just the nature of the beast. And so I used to be the type of person that would not relight a cigar. But I've found that, and I don't know if maybe it's just exposure, but I don't notice a difference in the flavor like I used to unless I don't take the steps. Like if I pick it up and draw through it, not realizing it's out, and then I get that stale, dead smoke taste in my mouth, it's really hard to recover from that because that's a palate thing more than it is a cigar thing. Yeah, I agree. So we've now explained everything. I think we've gone as far as we can with the lighting and relighting of your cigar, applying fire to tobacco. Well, it's funny because... Being able to light it and keep it lit is one of the most important things about smoking it, obviously. But it's one of those things that very few people actually do correctly or even know how to do correctly. And I see that a lot. You know, people that, like you mentioned, putting the torch, aiming it directly at the foot of the cigar. Like charging it like the barbarians at the gates yeah. <laughs> with the torch lighter. It's a gentleman's pursuit. Take your time. Right. Don't well, get in a rush. There was a movie that um, came out years ago with uh, William Holden, and uh, he was playing this um, rancher that was running a bunch of cattle and selling them for profit to both Union and Confederate soldiers. And there's a scene, it's one of my favorite scenes in cinema ever, where he actually explains how to light a cigar to this you know, backwoods redneck guy that just smoked cheroots and cigarettes. And he, he grabs the match, he shows him how to cut it with a knife, and then he says, look, he's like, you don't just put it in it. He, he grabs a cigar. He goes, you hold the flame about an inch or two away, and you bring the flame up to the cigar. Don't bring the cigar up to the flame. And shows him in the movie how to smoke a cigar. That's pretty brilliant. It that was, was back when you could actually show smoking in movies without it being a warning label. <laughs> right, without it immediately going to PG-13 yeah. or Thanks, R-rated. FDA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 
Um, I want to talk about a Cuban American brands, but let's go ahead and let's hit our cigar under eight dollars real quick. All right, changing the format up, Shane. I like it. I, I like to move, switch it up just a little bit. I heard that about you. <laughs> the musician amongst us, you would think he would compose us a cigar under eight dollars theme. Oh uh, well, nobody asked me, but well, we I have thrown down it. the gauntlet. Apparently. Right, I see how this is. I see how it is. Yes, I would like a cigar under eight dollars theme so that we can play it right before this segment. Bum, 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 to, bum, I got a couple bum, things that rhyme with eight. I'm trying to think of what rhymes with dollars, and I could use swallers, but I don't think you're going to like the way it shakes out. Uh, go with bucks. No, that won't work either. <laughs> <laughs> so today's cigar under eight dollars. That was good. <laughs> is the brick house. Brickhouse cigars are one of those cigars. I feel like a lot of people buy them because they are under $8, because they are inexpensive, and they don't get justice to how really good they are. And they're actually under 6 in a lot of cases, depending on what state you live in. I'm looking right now at the Brickhouse Mighty Mighty. Great labeling for a cigar, by the way. 60 ring gauge, <laughs> medium to full bodied. Nicaraguan binder, filler and wrapper. Nicaraguan Puro. Um, 6 by 60 and just a wonderful, wonderful smoke. About an hour and a half smoke. And we have a fellow here that he smokes them, but he smokes them because of price. And I'm like, that's a great cigar. It was rated 92 by Cigar Aficionado a few years ago. And they also do a Maduro version in all of their sizes that is in the same price as the natural and even better, in my opinion. Well, it's funny because you're talking about how a lot of people smoke it for price or... But at the same time, I think a lot of people, a lot of those, a lot of cigar snobs would look at it and say, wait, that's only six bucks? Eh, it's probably not that great. I'm just going to pass on it. Well, and the reason they're under six bucks, they don't spend a lot of money on their labels. They're not blowing a lot of money on advertising, and they're not spending a lot of money on their box. Right. And I, th- I think that's one of those things that so many companies put a lot of time and effort into their marketing, into their boxes, into their presentation, and it's not always necessary for the exact reason that that's just money that goes into it. But a lot of times I, I, I can think of the E.P. Carrillo being a perfect example of a company that makes a fabulous cigar, very well priced, not a very impressive box or shelf presence, but it's because I'd rather see a cigar manufacturer put the time and effort into the the cigar rather right. than the, the marketing and the visual part of I it. I like the, well, when I first really started getting into premium cigars, one of the, I'm not going to call anybody out as far as companies go, but one of the rules of thumb that I was taught was sometimes you can have, I'm not making any dirty jokes here, sometimes you can have a nice box <laughs> and the cigars will be good too, but a lot of times it seems like the more effort a company puts into the label and puts into the box to try to make it really pretty and really ornate and eye-catching, the less work goes into the cigar itself. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why when Pete Johnson started Tatawahe, he just had that tiny little ugly brown label. And he doesn't label hardly any of the cigars. You've got to know what they are, basically, because he wanted the cigars to stand on their merit alone. Which makes it a pain in the butt for people working in cigar shops trying to figure Especially out Especially since none is. of them are cellophane. Yeah. <laughs> and I swear to God, he's got three or four cigars. They're the same cigar, the same size, but they've got different names and they're different prices. <laughs> <laughs> Making life hard on cigar people everywhere, but... Wrapping it up, the Brick House Mighty Mighty is our cigar under $8. Great cigar, long smoke. Next time you're in a humidor, try it out. Oh, 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 Alvarez Kelly. Alvarez Kelly was the name of that William Holden movie that I was talking oh. about. <laughs> 
And Bo with the callback picks up the spare. <laughs> now, let's talk about American slash Cuban brands. Um, Cohibo, Cohiba being the most famous. I like Cohibo. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to stick as your new nickname, Bo. I haven't called worse. Um, so the, the whole Cuban-American thing. So let's talk about that because... A lot of people that are just getting into cigars or kind of newer into cigars haven't had a whole lot of exposure to Cubans, or maybe that was their first exposure and then found cigars that way, may not realize that most of the manufacturers that we smoke today in America actually have Cuban roots. Uh, You know, I mean, Monte Cristo, Cohiba, like you mentioned, Fuente even to a lesser extent, um, that has more to do with their master blender who came over with them. But there's a lot of there's a lot of Cuban influence, even the way that they roll cigars now, um, all traces it back to this tiny little island. And just so everyone knows, no Cuban cigars are not rolled on the thighs of a virgin. I cannot imagine anyone skilled enough to roll a cigar on their thigh. But and you can she, imagine what it would be like if she <laughs> did. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna tell you what: if she can roll a six by sixty on her thigh, that's a lot of thigh. <laughs> Before we go forward, can I just sit and picture this for a minute? Yeah. yeah. Well, Perdomo actually has, it used to hang around here. I'd have to find it. They actually have a picture of this beautiful Hispanic woman rolling a cigar on her thigh underneath one of their their <laughs> logos, if you remember it's that Perdomo. picture. Oh, sorry. My microphone just got a little taller. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the other things that I've, it's funny because uh, I've heard people, even in the military, say, Incorrectly, obviously, that the reason Cuban cigars are illegal or the reason that they're more expensive or the reason that they're so much better is because they have marijuana in them. And I've tried to explain that you couldn't... Tobacco and marijuana have much different growing patterns. You can't grow the two of them side by... And there's no tobacco-marijuana hybrid blend. There's no leaf that grows that's got both. So it's not like they roll a cigar and then just throw some ganja in there for, for the heck of it. But I've met a lot of people in the military that claimed, oh, yeah, yeah, I smoked a Cuban cigar, and that's why, that's why I failed the drug test, because they've got marijuana in them. So that's another one of the myths we'd like to dispel. As long as the lab tech believes it, that's all that matters? Yeah. Well, what was funny was the guy that told me that, well, the first time I heard it anyway, was the guy that was in the Navy, and he said he was actually in charge of, he was one of those guys. And he goes, yeah, a lot of guys, they'd show up with THC in their system, but it was just a little bit, and... If they smoke Cuban cigars, that was why. I'm like, all right, man. If you guys lie, we'll swear to it. <laughs> well, and unless I miss the physics, isn't the marijuana bud in the tobacco a leaf? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you would basically essentially have to grind it up and find a way to put it well, in there without it falling I, I, out. It would, it, it, yeah. There's just no way. Not, not just because it's not legal. I don't really, I don't smoke it, never really got into it, but I have known plenty. Like you said, I was a musician. I have known plenty of people that did. And yeah, there's no way to, you can't roll marijuana in with it. I mean, you'd have to, like you said, you'd have to drill it out and put some in, or a lot of times what they do is they just, they take the wrapper and put marijuana in it and then roll it around and smoke that. So you, it's basically one or the other, like you said. You can't really do both. Unless... Unless they decriminalize marijuana in the in, in the U.S. and Drew Estate decides to make some kind of THC infused, <laughs> they would acid. be the ones to do it too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would put my money on Room 101 or Drew Estate to lead the charge of yes. the marijuana slash cigar. <laughs> but so, all right. So let me ask you guys this: uh, as 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 guys who have had Cuban cigars as well as everything on the shelf in in Crown's humidor today. Is there any Cuban cigar that you like as much or better than its American counterpart? For me, the answer is no. For me, a lot of, and I think as 
relations are normalized with Cuba and we move toward that in this era that we're in, I think Cuba is going to find out how far behind in the cigar industry they actually are. Well, we've talked about this before. When uh, you know, when, when the biggest reason Cubans have had that appeal is because of that mystique, the whole "I can't get it." It's just like you remember back in Smokey and the Bandit days; they had to run Coors out because you couldn't get it east of the Mississippi. Well, in the 21st century, you can get Coors anywhere, and that's why people don't drink it. <laughs> it's like, oh man, if I've got if it's if it's not if it's not illegal, it's just not fun. So I went on my my first honeymoon. And to the Cayman Islands. And so we found a, a nice cigar bar that, uh, I hate that term, but uh, we found a nice cigar bar that had I, what I knew were not counterfeit Cubans, basically. I spent probably $250 on Cuban cigars. And of the, of the probably 10 cigars that I bought for that money, <laughs> there was only one that I thought, brought something extra to the table that I would choose it over something I could get in the U.S., and that was the Bolivar. See, uh, that was... Bolivar well, Coso. Yeah, that was one of my favorite cigars, not just Cubans, but favorite, especially since I've had the, the well, not American counterpart, but the non-Cuban counterpart, and it just wasn't the same. Although, my first real experience with Cuban cigars, um, when I was 18, my, my dad brought me a few back from Canada as a birthday present, but when I was in Spain um, a few months after that, there was a cigar. There were cigar bars everywhere in Spain. It's it's it, it's it's really interesting. But anyway, I uh, I was able to every night for like two weeks smoke different Cubans and the Romeo and Julietas, the Monte Cristos, especially the Bolivars. Those were my favorite. Those were so much different than the counterparts that you can buy in the U.S. than the non-Cuban counterparts. Now, as far as stuff that's like craft or boutique, like the San Cristobal's and H. Upman's and stuff like that, it, you know. It's kind of hard to say. It kind of goes back and forth. And the other problem is, especially with before the embargo was lifted, you never know when you're getting a fake one. You never know when you're getting a bad one. Right. I mean, if I was in Spain, yeah, I'd probably smoke mostly Cubans just because I know which ones I really like. But I, I wouldn't take a chance on it here. Well, and one of the coolest stories in Aficionado last year was an interview with Jose Padron. And Jose Padron actually was talking about when his family's tobacco lands were taken by communism and someone brought him some Nicaraguan tobacco. And he actually rolled a cigar there in the hotel room out of that Nicaraguan tobacco and smoked it. And I thought, that's great. That's, that to me is an awesome thing, just that a man can grab a handful of tobacco and roll a cigar and see how it tastes they're in the hotel room. Yeah, no, that would be really cool. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine something more memorable than that. So, um, I wonder now, if part of it. I'm sorry, I didn't oh, mean to carry cut you on. off, but I, I wonder if part of that comes from the fact that even when I'm in the U.S. and I can get whatever cigars I can, the Monte Cristos, the, the Cohibas, whatever it is, those aren't my favorite cigars anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I like well, them, but it's not my go-to. So I wonder right. if maybe the reason I don't like the Cuban version is because I don't really like the Dominican version either. Well, the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, like we talked about it. Yeah, if you're overseas or if you're on a cruise or if, you, if you're in a different country and you can get good Cubans, it's like, all right, I can't get these back home. I'll try this. Just the same as you would drink stuff when you're on a cruise or when you're in another country that you wouldn't go to a bar in Nashville and be like, yeah, make me one of those. Now, I will say Cuban rum does far exceed the rums we can pick up around here. <laughs> and, and one <laughs> I of don't the know. Things, Skinny Lister had the best I've ever had. Oh, my goodness. Uh, 
I love that jug. I know. I don't know what they do to it. So I want to... One of the things that I, I love about uh, derailing a minute, the Cuban rum is the fact that they actually age their rum more than most other countries do. And most people think of rum, you think of an island drink. You're kind of thinking of something more Caribbean when you're thinking about rum as far as a but drink. Why is the rum gone? Yes. You're, pi- you're going all Pirates of the Caribbean when you start talking about rums. Well, my, uh, my younger brother, when he turned 21, he decided to kind of jump into the drinking foray in true Ladner fashion. And he decided he wanted to start trying rum and coke. And he'd had a couple at bars, but he didn't know what he had, so he wanted to try different liquors to find out what he liked. We tried what I like, Irish whiskey, didn't care for it, scotch, didn't care for it. Uh, he wanted something to flavor, so it wasn't vodka. So he decided he wanted some rum, and I remember mom saying, okay, well, what kind of rum should we get? So they're in the liquor store, and they go, okay, we got light rum and dark rum. And Josh says, let's get dark rum. Pirates drink dark rum. She went, okay. She went and checked out and went, wait, did he just say pirates drink dark rum? Is that really <laughs> the, the basis we're using to decide what we're going to drink tonight? <laughs> My. Not only that, pirates actually would have drank light rum because they wouldn't have been able to age it as much. I mean, aging was almost found out by accident. My great uncle, always, my entire life, he's nearly 80 years old, and my entire life he's always called it a sweet Coke. He never <laughs> called it a Coke and rum. He always called it a sweet Coke. And over years, he's honed the recipe for his sweet Coke down to a science. You pour a glass of rum, and somebody somewhere opens a Coke. <laughs> that's like my that's like my favorite recipe for a martini, which is a shot and a half of vodka or gin if you're so inclined, and then you look towards France for the vermouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a scotch and water, a whole scotch. <laughs> now, as we're kind of wrapping up the show and coming to an end, I won't say that. It'll be interesting when we do normalize regulations with Cuba, what's going to happen to the American Cuban brands? Are we just going to have Cohiba America and Cohiba Cuba? Is there going to be a lawsuit? Well, how's that going to work? So I think it, sorry, uh, I think it's going to be a lot like, you, you know, you, you've mentioned in a past episode about how all Nicaraguans come in an orange box for some reason. I think it's going to be branded the same way. It's going to be... Because all Cubans come in a yellow box. Yeah, it's going to be a yellow box. It's going to be, you know, here's our Nicaraguan version, here's our Cuban version, here's our regular line. I think it's going to be just a branding issue. When you said, you know, every cigar company was coming out with a Nicaraguan, or I think it's going to be the same thing with Cuban. I think every company's going to say, try our Cuban. I was going to say, though, Trey, you've worked in cigar shops before. You've run into this, I'm sure, where... I can't tell you how many times somebody came in and said, hey, do you guys have those Cuban cigars that you can sell here? I said, oh, you can't sell Cubans in the U.S. It's been illegal for 50 years. No, 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 no. Oh, there they are, the Cohibas. Yeah, those are the Cuban cigars you guys can sell here. Well, sir, look on the label. It says Dominican Republic. No, 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 no. These are the, these are the, these are the only Cubans you can yeah. sell in the U.S. So that's the other thing you're going to run into is people that don't know the difference between them, that have been believing for the last 20 years that the Dominican Cohiba was the Cuban one. So. Well, never, never mind the $10 price difference. Right. <laughs> yeah, and if you're out of the country and you happen to find Cuban cigars, if you ain't paying 20 bucks for it, you're probably not buying a real well, cigar. I had a, a friend of mine went to Cuba for his senior trip. They had to charter a flight down, and he was telling me he bought a Cohiba right outside the factory, and he said it was sandy. And I said, you know, I've heard a lot of weird terms to describe a flavor profile of a cigar before, but could you elaborate on the term sandy? 
He said, yeah, there was freaking sand in it. <laughs> he said, yeah, I guess they rolled them by the beach or something. I was smoking it, and I was chewing on sand. Oh, God. <laughs> so that's the other issue I think we're going to run into is a quality control. You know, I've always said communists aren't known for quality control, so it's going to be really interesting to see Cubans have to compete with the standards that have been set by the top-tier companies like Padron and Davidoff and Fuente. And Although that being said, the, the Cuban cigars I have had, one thing that I will say even if I don't think that their flavor is top-notch, their construction is pretty unbelievable. Their their construction and quality control in terms of... On the Cubans? Yeah. See, I've run into the issues with that. I used to... There were a couple of different websites we used to get Cubans off of, and even when I was over in Spain, I bought a couple of boxes, and the problem that I would have was I'd have a box of 20, and two or three of them would just be unsmokable. See, I've, I've not run into that. Maybe I haven't smoked enough of it. I don't know if that's maybe what it is, but I've always had... Well, it depends on the company, too. Every company's yeah, different. Yeah, exactly. But I've always... I've never had a, a draw issue with a Cuban. I've never had a construction issue with a Cuban. I, now, I have had considerable, not suggesting this was the case in yours, but I've had considerable construction issues with fake Cubans, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, now, I was going through, like, I brought a few boxes back from Spain, and one of the things that I was a little upset about was the fact that, you know, if you're in a shop, you can, it's just like, it's like the lady that squeezes every loaf of bread or checks every single jug of milk looking for the one that's going to expire in six months. Yeah. It's the same way with the Cubans in a shop, yeah, or any cigar in a shop. You know, you can look at them individually and see which ones are good, but if you're just buying a sealed box, that was what the problem I ran into. I'd get 15 that were just perfect. Yeah. I'd get a couple that were okay, and I'd get a couple that were just, I don't know why they even had them in there. Well, and the Cuban style of rolling is such as to make the cigar smolder. They're not really about the lit cigar so much as the cigar that smolders nice and slow over a long period of time to unlock the flavor. It's a, it's a much cooler burning cigar. It's a much slower burning cigar. But speaking of that, guys, I'm almost done with my cigar. It's a beautiful sunny day. Let's go fishing. What do you say? I'm your Huckleberry. Hey, I've got my rod in the truck. I'm ready. All right. So uh, for the Cigar Cast this week, make sure you check us out on Twitter and Instagram at the Cigar Cast facebook.com slash the cigar cast or drop us a line with any suggestions or feedback at info at the cigar i'm one of your hosts trey dedman i'm shane reeves i'm bo ladner we'll see you next week 